Hello, this is Diksha from Newslaundry.com bringing you your daily dose of news. Today is Tuesday, the 11th of January. India registered over 1,68,000 cases of COVID-19 and 277 linked deaths in the last 24 hours. The total tally of infections stands at over 3 crore 58 lakh, while the death toll is more than 4 lakh 84,000. The current tally of Omicron cases in the country is 4,461, with the new variant now present in all 28 states. The highest number of Omicron cases have been detected in Maharashtra with over 1,700 cases, followed by Rajasthan with more than 600. Delhi has been reporting a surge in COVID cases as it recorded over 19,100 cases on Monday, with the positivity rate in the city jumping to 25%. In view of the rise in cases, the Delhi Disaster Management Authority decided to shut down restaurants, bars and private offices in the city. Over in Maharashtra, Pune reported its highest single-day rise in COVID infections in the third wave, reporting over 6,400 cases in the last 24 hours. Mumbai, meanwhile, reported a 30% dip in infections from the previous day, registering 19,648 cases on Monday. Maharashtra Health Minister Rajesh Tope, however, said that the state was seeing a third wave of COVID-19, adding that it could reach its peak by the end of January. In Tamil Nadu, despite a surge in COVID cases, the state government on Monday said that people would be allowed to organise the annual bull-taming sport, Jalli Kat, during the Pongal celebrations beginning from January 14. The administration added, however, that the sport will now be played among strict coronavirus curbs. The state reported over 13,900 cases on Monday. In West Bengal, the Calcutta High Court said today that only those who are fully vaccinated or have a negative RT-PCR report will be allowed entry into the ongoing Ganga Sagar Mela in the state. The religious fair that began on the 8th of January on the Sagar Island, as cases have been rising in the state, will conclude on January 16. Pilgrims in large numbers are expected to take a dip in the River Ganga. Globally, COVID-19 has infected more than 311 million people so far, claiming the lives of over 5.5 million people. The United States, meanwhile, recorded over 1.48 million or 14.8 lakh fresh cases of COVID-19 on Monday, which was the highest single-day count in any country so far. The Editors Guild of India issued a statement today condemning the continuing online harassment of women journalists, which includes targeted and organised online trolling as well as threats of sexual abuse. It stated that the harassment of particularly those who have openly criticised the governing Bharatiya Janata Party is a quote-unquote travesty of all democratic norms and in violation of the law. It urged the central government to take swift steps to break and dismantle the misogynistic and abusive digital ecosystem. Citing The Wire's recent series on the app TechFog, the Guild pointed out that several women journalists were subjected to thousands of abusive tweets to instill fear in them and prevent them from expressing themselves freely and go about their jobs. It also brought up the online auction of Muslim women, which it said included journalists critical of the government and demanded a further investigation to ensure that all those behind such despicable acts, even beyond those arrested, are brought to justice. The statement concluded, and I quote, Editor's Guild demands that the government take urgent steps to break and dismantle this misogynistic and abusive digital ecosystem. Further, given the allegations that there may be the involvement of influential people linked to the ruling party with the app TechFog, the Guild demands that the Supreme Court of India takes cognizance of the matter and order a probe into it, unquote. 
Meanwhile, Union Minister Smriti Irani said yesterday that irrespective of religion, women have been denied dignity on social media. The Indian Express reported that Irani urged people to cut across party lines to address this concern. She said this while responding to a question on the online targeting of Muslim women through apps such as Bully Bai. Bully is a derogatory word used to refer to women from the Muslim community. Listeners, speaking of the Bully Bai app case, you should watch the latest episode of TV Nuisance on newslaundry.com to know how a section of TV news channels covered the controversy this week by mostly ignoring it. Yes, you heard it right. The listing of Muslim women on an application for online auction was ignored because news channels were busy giving 24-hour coverage to a security lapse by converting it into an assassination attempt during PM Narendra Modi's Punjab visit. Sudhir Chaudhary on Z News wondered if there was a hidden sharpshooter around, while Amish Devgan on News 18 theorized on an LTTE-style suicide attack. According to the usual suspects on prime time, this was yet another plot to kill the PM. Here at News Laundry, however, there are two detailed reports you can read on the bully by controversy. The first one by my colleague Pratik Goyal about how the bully by case exposed an internal rift within the Hindutva Brigade. His report on newslaundry.com is titled Bully by Campaign Exposes the Rift Between Trads and Raitas in the Right-Wing Ecosystem. In another report, I speak to the family of 18-year-old Shweta Singh who was arrested from Uttarakhand and is reportedly the prime accused in the case. To read what her family had to say, read my report titled Bully by Accused Shweta Singh is an introvert who loves Hinduism, according to her sisters. So listeners, if you now see the difference between what gets importance in the news cycle on prime time and factual and accurate news stories that matter, support our advertisement-free and independent journalism today. Join the movement to keep news free and fair. Go to newslaundry.com and hit that red subscribe button on the top right corner. Ahead of the upcoming state election in Uttar Pradesh, Swami Prasad Maurya, a minister in the Uttar Pradesh cabinet and a member of the BJP, resigned from his post and joined Akhilesh Yadav's Samajwadi party today. Elected from the Padrona constituency in the state, the leader was handling the labour portfolio in the state's cabinet. Maurya said in his resignation letter, and I quote, Despite a divergent ideology, I worked with dedication in the Adityanath cabinet, but because of the grave oppression of Dalits, other backward classes, farmers, unemployed and small businessmen, I am resigning. Unquote. Earlier today, SP's Akhilesh Yadav posted a photo with Maurya on Twitter. Soon after Swami Prasad Maurya's resignation, the state's Deputy Chief Minister Keshav Prasad Maurya asked him to hold talks and reconsider his decision. Besides, Multiple reports suggested that at least three other BJP MLAs, Brijesh Prajapati, Bhagwati Sagar and Roshan Lal Verma have exited the party. However, only Prajapati has officially confirmed his resignation, also stating that the BJP is overlooking the interests of the Dalit community, farmers, unemployed persons and small businessmen. Meanwhile, Bahujan Samaj Party head Mayavati will not be contesting the upcoming assembly elections in Uttar Pradesh, BSP leader Satish Chandra Misra said today. This, however, is not new as Mayavati has never contested an assembly election in the state before. Misra added that he too will not contest the poll. The elections for 403 assembly seats in Uttar Pradesh will be held in seven phases from February 10 to March 7. Five states, Goa, Manipur, Punjab, Uttarakhand and Uttar Pradesh, are all voting to elect new assemblies in less than a month. And News Laundry reporters Akansha, Ashwin, 
Ayush, Basant, Nidhi, Pratik and Shivangi will hit the ground to do some solid and nuanced reportage on the elections. But this we cannot do without support and resources. If you are looking forward to our election reports and want to make them possible, contribute to our News Laundry SENA project to fund our election reportage. You can do this by visiting the SENA tab on newslaundry.com. In Assam, the Guwahati High Court today directed the state government to file a detailed affidavit within two weeks about the gunfights allegedly orchestrated by the state police after the Bharatiya Janata Party came to power in 2021. The court gave these directions to the Principal Home Secretary of the state after hearing a plea filed by Delhi-based lawyer Arif Jwadar. Scroll.in reported that in December, the lawyer had cited media reports to state that over 80 such incidents have taken place in Assam since May 2021. Jwadar has said that 28 people were killed and 48 were injured in quote-unquote fake encounters in this period. Questioning the modus operandi of the gunfights described by the Assam police, he pointed out that in all of these cases, the police have claimed that they had to retaliate in self-defence after accused persons tried to snatch their revolvers. The Advocate General of Assam said in today's hearing that magisterial inquiries have been conducted in these cases. Senior Advocate Indira Jaising, however, representing the petitioner, told the court that there was no such information available. Jaising also asked the court to direct the state government to upload first information reports on its website. The High Court had also asked the Assam government on January 4 if first information reports have been filed for each of these gunfights as is mandated by the law. The lawyer who filed the petition asked the court to give directions to book the policemen involved in these gunfights for murder. In December, Scroll.in had reported that 31 people have been killed in alleged encounters in the state since May 2021. The United Nations on Tuesday appealed to donors for 4.4 billion US dollars in humanitarian aid for Afghanistan in 2022, which it said was its biggest ever single country appeal. $623 million was also required, it said, to support millions of Afghans who were sheltering beyond its borders. The UN said that funds were an essential stopgap and were required to ensure the country's future after a period of turmoil that was marked by Taliban taking over the country and the United States making a hasty exit. 22 million people inside Afghanistan and 5.7 million displaced Afghans in five neighbouring countries required vital relief this year, the agency said. UN aid chief Martin Griffiths said, and I quote, A full-blown humanitarian catastrophe looms. My message is urgent. Don't shut the door on the people of Afghanistan. Help us scale up and stave off the widespread hunger, disease, malnutrition and ultimately death." Unquote. Ever since the Taliban seized control of Afghanistan in August, the country's economy has been on the verge of collapse, with inflation and unemployment surging. Griffiths said that without the package, there won't be a future. The aid would help agencies ramp up the delivery of food, agricultural support, health, services, malnutrition treatment, access to water and sanitation, education and more, he said. Meanwhile, in the United States, the White House said today that the Biden administration has decided to donate an extra 308 million US dollars in humanitarian aid to Afghanistan, bringing the total US aid to the country to nearly 782 million US dollars since October. That's all the news we have for you today. Stay safe wherever you're listening from. See you tomorrow. 
All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel. 